Well, um, again, we're continuing in. We're into a current series on the prayerful church. And uh, no surprise that the Lord would prompt me with a word like that on this particular current series. You know, it's a, it's a big part of the kingdom culture to be a people of prayer. As a, as a praying Christian, you can map your life out according to the will of God. You can, you can start taking steps that are ordered by the Lord as a prayerful Christian. Someone who's always going to God in prayer. Not just having Christian thoughts, but having actually a connection to the Father's heart. Now that's another step. That's another lifestyle. Not just having Christian thoughts and, yeah, I believe and, and therefore I'm going to be doing this and I'm going to be doing that. But rather actually having a heart connected to the Father's heart. What's the first assignment? It's alignment. That's the first assignment in our Christian lives. And get this. We are to become not just a people uh, of the word of God. And there are some people who are big on that. The word of God is everything. But we're also to be a people of the spirit of God. You know, recognizing that Jesus, like almost like a tag team, when he rose to sit at the right hand side of the father and slapped the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came into the earth. You know, tag team, you know, and he's here now. The Holy Spirit is here now. The very first thing that the Lord said to me in this church was that he was here and he was here for you. You know, and I love that. I love that, 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 that walking in that revelation, pastoring a church, realizing that the Spirit of God is here for God's people. And we hear enough testimonies to confirm that from different people coming in and being touched by the presence of God and by the Spirit of God and, and just things that we couldn't. Look, if I had a button for it or a switch that I could find that's in the back wall there and switch that on, switch that off when we're done and switch it back on again when people are walking in, I would get that switch and I tell you what, I'd put a lock and a key on it and make sure that no one played with that switch. But you see, I can't control it. It's what God does. It's what God does when people come in here hungry for him. And here's the thing for those that sit there and sit there and sit there and probably wonder, hmm, I haven't had that lately, I'm not really sure. Here's something for you. Come in hungry. Change that hunger level and you watch what happens. When you start getting hungry with God and associate it with coming in to the house of God, you watch what the Lord will do with that. Not only that, but it will do something in your life that's actually for others rather than just you. Hmm. Amen. Getting very quiet in this Pentecostal church. <laughs> When we pray the will of God, his word becomes the basis of our prayer. Amen. Not just standing on the promise we found in the Bible, but led by the spirit of God to that promise. That's exciting when that happens. You know you've got a word to stand on. You know you've got a word from him that you can push into prayer with. And, uh, and of course, uh, do, do battle. That word that he impresses upon our hearts. We must see what is playing out in the earth today is what Peter said was happening and actually referred to on the day of Pentecost and we mentioned this the other week and probably maybe even the week before but God the Father said to Jesus the Son sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool Jesus is sat there at the right hand side of the throne of God and of course he ever lives to make intercession for us he is praying for us ready to download truth to fight the good fight of faith with and that's a good thing amen that's what's happening you ask what's happening in the world that's what's happening 
Big picture. I know it's big picture, but Jesus' enemies are being made his footstool, even as we speak. And we have got to see that we need to be a part of that. We've got to be a part of that endeavour. We've got to be a part of that process. We've been seeing that in the last few weeks is that our prayer potential has its enemies and, uh, and that we should all be active um, in overcoming those enemies. And we should be activated. Sometimes it takes a little bit of a realisation as to what's really going on and then to get active and realise that these enemies are stopping us from praying and are hindering us in that ability to connect with the Father's heart and, and to go deeper and go further um, than, uh, than what we've been able to in our own strength. Amen. But let's just look at those enemies as a, a bit of a recap. And um, uh, the three enemies that we've been talking about is the flesh, our own flesh. Um, only you can fight your flesh. I'm not going to fight your flesh. I'm just going to probably move around your flesh and get out of the way of your flesh. Okay? But uh, you need to fight your own flesh. You need to go to battle with your own flesh. Go toe-to-toe with it and say it's not going to have its way in your life. Amen? There's the world and, of course, the devil. And, uh, you know, I just want to do a little recap um, on these. Not, not a real big long one, but a, a little recap just on those three uh, enemies that we all face. And enemies to our prayer life. And, of course, the first one being, you know, the, the flesh. The Bible tells us that the flesh is weak. Everybody would say amen to that. They know. And, and prayer is usually one of the first activities to drop off in a Christian's life when they're experiencing the stumble blocks, you know, those stumbling blocks, those trip-ups, you know, those speed humps that you don't see, you know, in the flesh. But prayerlessness is powerlessness, okay? Prayerlessness is powerlessness, and uh, overcoming the flesh actually starts in prayer. So that's where we need to actually begin to start overcoming the flesh. You know, it's not just in our, our, um, our, our, uh, our, our good determination, you know, our, our, our what's the word for it? Um, our, our good commitment, but, but rather that determination to be a person of prayer to overcome weaknesses in the flesh. Go to God in prayer in the midst of your weakness. That's the point. Go to God in prayer. Don't, don't um, run from God in prayer. Be a believer that is righteousness-minded. Don't allow the condemnation to cut across your prayer connection to God's heart, you know, God the Father. You know, if you've failed in some area of the flesh, and we all do, okay, get back up again. You know, get back up again. You know, repent and receive the forgiveness of God. Go to God in prayer. Don't don't hold back, you know, don't just dismiss that. Oh, well, I tell you, and I'll just let you in a little tip. That's how the enemy, and we'll get on to the enemy in a minute, the devil, that's how he builds strongholds in people's lives. Because we give him ground. We'll get on to that. You give him ground, and that becomes like a stronghold in people's lives. And they walk around it and just put up with it and get on with their lives, and that stronghold is there. But we've, not, we've got to be a people who say, you know what? The enemy's not going to have any ground in my life. I'm not giving any ground up for the enemy. Amen? Amen. Romans 8 and verse uh, 1 to 4, and it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now that is what we receive when we, re- when we become believers. For what the, spirit, the law of the spirit of life in Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law could not do, and it was weak through the flesh, God did, underline did, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Praise the Lord. Great scripture. There's a little bit in but The word of God tells us if we'll just, if we'll just walk in the spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the easy part. You know, we just turn away from it. Just say, no. Turn away from temptation. You know, what's your temptation? Just turn away from it and start walking in the spirit. And you watch the help that you get from God when you do. Amen. Just watch the help that you get from him. You know, we've got to get off our worthiness trip sometimes. Let's not try self-righteousness as our way into the throne, of, uh, throne room of God. You'll never be good enough if you try self-righteousness. You'll never make it on that. We have to rely on what Jesus did. His righteousness is a gift, not a merit badge. All right? It's not something that we attained and we've got that badge now and we're all good. So, we, you know, we've got to walk in our righteousness. And it, when we're walking in our righteousness, we'll run to God in prayer. Even in those moments when we've been weak in the flesh, we'll run to God, not let that stop us. We're going to go into God and we're going to get up, I'm going to repent and I'm going to receive the forgiveness of God through prayer. Amen. So what about the world? Um, it's an enemy as well, and uh, we need to see that. The world, we saw last week, the world system and all of its subcultures is under the leadership of the devil. And uh, the apostle Paul described the devil as the god of this world. So there was an understanding. So in our conversion to Christ, we are delivered from the dominion of the devil. Colossians 3 tells us that we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness over into the kingdom of God's dear son. That's where, we, that's, that's where our dominion is. That's where we're, you know, dom we're dominated now, over in the kingdom of God. And what happens is conversion is followed by transformation. So there's a work of transformation going on in our lives. I'm not as transformed, uh, I should say, I'm not a completely transformed yet, but I'm still being transformed, all right? There was a work of transformation when I got saved, but the work of transformation goes on in our lives. And if we'll press in for the heart of God, we'll keep receiving his transformation for where we are. A bit like Pastor Jess was talking about the wisdom, you know, uh, the wisdom that God has for us. He'll have it for us as we keep pressing in for it and getting a hold of that wisdom from him. Our transformation from worldly ways is progressive but begins as soon as we start to renew our minds. And we need to get on with it. Now, I'm not picking on anyone that still likes a cigarette. I'm not picking on anyone that has a, a, an addiction to nicotine. But I remember, I mentioned my father a little bit earlier on in the service, and my dad, you know, he got saved in 1986, and the church was quite a large church, and, and he got involved in the ministry pretty well straight after he got saved, you know, he, he joined the ushering team. And my dad, he liked a cigarette. In fact, he'd like to have a few of them. So he would, uh, here he was, um, you know, still continuing with that habit of, of smoking. He didn't think it was a problem. And of course, I was in the ushering uh, room uh, as well, in that ushering department. My dad, because he, he joined the ushering team to be with, with his son, I thought it was a wonderful thing. But I remember what it was like when he would come into the ushering room to get his badge and to get, you know, all the gear that you needed to have. And 
he'd come in smelling like a cigarette. It was so sad because there were people in there who were so religious and so, that man over there's been smoking. And I'm thinking, you know, that man over there's my dad, so you be careful, you know. (laughs) But you know what, I I obviously didn't have to sort anyone out, but... (laughs) It took a while for him to come through some things. And even better was the way that he came through his worst addiction was, was, was alcohol. He was an alcoholic most of his life. Of smoking, he said that he was even trying to give it up when he was eight years old, of smoking. I know this, that, that he kept on smoking pretty well most of it for the rest of his life, and unfortunately it was emphysema that actually was a disease that, that finally terminated his life. He couldn't get his breath anymore. But I tell you what, I, the testimony that he did have was as he, he overcame his alcoholism. He didn't continue drinking for the rest of his life. He still liked a cigarette. But I tell you, he was still saved, you know, my dad. And I know that when we get there, when we get to heaven, I'm going to see my dad again. And uh, it's going to be a beautiful day. Sometimes we need to be careful that we don't move into judgment on people who are struggling with things and make it as a, oh, well, they can't possibly be saved because they've, they've got this or they've got that or... People are getting over sin in their lives. Amen? And we need to be praying for them, not judging them. Is that okay? We need to be about that business of actually getting behind them and praying for them as they continue on in transformation and be those ones that support them through intercession. Our transformation from worldly ways is progressive. And some are on a different pattern, or I should say even a a schedule than what we would want them to be on. But it does begin as soon as we start to renew our minds. There's a renewing of the mind that helps that. And it's a work of the Spirit of God. But we do need to surrender to it, of course, through the renewing of our minds and submitting to the will of God. I just read that verse out too in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. This is the key of how to do it. You present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, one good reason to be found in church on Sunday mornings is that the Lord is renewing minds, downloading truth for hungry hearts, taking his people from faith to faith, from grace to grace, from strength to strength, people are being transformed. And we can be a part of that, just with the word in season. The Bible says, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Don't forget, others need you, and you bring something that only you can bring. You know, that word that's on your heart that encourages someone else, no one else can bring, particularly when it's a word that the Lord gave you to bring. Amen. So when we get together and we encourage and stir one another up to love and good works, it's because we've got something that only we've got. And, you know, we should be here to share it with others when we gather together, a Sunday celebration. Okay, what about the devil as an enemy? And this is where we got to, is this third enemy, okay, the devil. The first thing we need to be assured of is that the devil is a defeated enemy, already defeated. Jesus at the cross defeated him stripped him of his legal right to have dominion in the earth. And we want to talk a little bit about dominion and authority because, you know, the Gospel of Luke has a key to understanding how the devil got 
that authority in the first place that he did have. And I say had because he lost that authority when Jesus went to the cross, died and rose again. Let's look at the temptation in the wilderness. Jesus comes up out of John's baptism in the Jordan River and he's led up by the Spirit of God immediately straight into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I mean, there's no stopping for lunch. You have your baptism, you know, you might go out for some friends with lunch and no, no, not, not Jesus. He's off into the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights of fasting to be tempted by the devil. And of course, we pick it up in uh, Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus answered each temptation from the devil with the word of God, and so should we. He is a liar in rebellion, and we should be truth tellers in righteousness. There's a comparison. He's a liar in rebellion, and we should be truth tellers in righteousness. Look what it says. And then the devil, taking him up on the high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. Sorry to say, but at that point he was not lying. It had been, all that authority had been delivered to him. And look what he says, and I give it to whomever, whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Just a question, when was this worldwide authority given to the devil? How did the devil get his authority in the earth? Of course, the, the earth was given to man, we know that, to have dominion over it. And we read that in Genesis chapter 3. Have a little read of it. At the Garden of Eden, the fall of mankind was exactly when the devil picked it up. He picked it up by default. The devil had the dominion delivered to him, according to Luke chapter 4. And it was Jesus who came as the saviour of the world, motivated by the love of God, that took dominion back for each and every one of us. And now every believer that comes to Jesus, and we hear the scripture from Colossians a fair bit, every believer that comes to Jesus is delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. Amen. That's something to be excited about. That's our current position. And here's one verse that contains all three of those enemies. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And it says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespass and sin. That was the flesh thing. Dead in trespass and sin. In which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Amen. And we've got to recognize, you know, uh, that the devil is still at work in the sons of disobedience. You, you, you could be sitting down with one in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the lunchroom at work or coming into contact with, you know, in your various travels in your work, coming across sons of disobedience. You know, the church has been set free for the purpose of reaching them. Reaching them. Our job is to preach the gospel to them. 
We're going to take that job on, you know, church. We have to get to the place where we say, actually, that's the thing I'm devoted to in my life, is winning the lost, winning those sons of disobedience. And you know, think about the sons of disobedience is that they, they're not interested in doing what God wants. But we've got to be those ones that actually those sons and daughters of God and say, you know what, we've co- I've come into the family of God now and I know what it is to be a son and daughter of God. And I tell you what, it's much better than being out there just living any way I like. That so-called freedom is actually bondage that people are living in. And we're the messengers. We're the ones that are go out and actually share with them and tell them, hey, you know, there's a better life. And you might know some very, very good people you would wonder how you could pluck up the courage to actually speak to them and ask them whether or not they know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. But we've got to get to that place and ask the Lord, show us how we can get a witness into that person's life. Sometimes it takes a real courage because we're a little bit, what's the word for it? Ashamed. No one likes to admit that, but sometimes we go through a little bit of a, a shame thing when it comes to telling people that we're Christians and that we live for Jesus. And so there's people that are untouched with the gospel, you see. Very quiet now and here this morning. (laughs) We all are called to be a part of setting the captives free. Amen. I'm not saying quickly race out and just slap that Jesus sticker on your car and start wearing the little fish sticker on your lapel when you go out. I'm I'm not suggesting any of that. But what I am saying is, is that how about we pray about those people in our lives that we haven't yet reached with the gospel? How about we ask when we're getting around them, Lord, how do I, what do I say? Lord, what can I say? Lord, can you give me some seed? You know, just seed that I can sow into their lives and hearts. Lord, let it be, you know, through your wisdom, you know. Don't try and do it in your own, oh, I don't know how to do it and just give up. Don't do that. This is a truth that we need to see is that the church needs to live in the reality of the authority that it now has. It needs to be found praying with that authority. It understands, like we understand, I should say, that it now has authority in the earth by faith, expecting to see the power of heaven at work as we, as we step out into ministry endeavours, expecting to see God actually turn up in those situations starting a conversation with someone understand this and this is something to understand the kingdom of darkness recognizes authority wow the bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you that's a picture of your authority right there if you just resist the devil's going to flee don't give in to him so easily so important that we understand how to walk in our authority and be convinced of where we got it from where do we get that authority from Because the devil and the workers of darkness understand authority, even when believers don't. A great example of this is Paul, as he's preaching in Ephesus. Watch how he starts out preaching in the synagogue. The religious people of the day, of course, don't like it. And Paul then finds a lecture hall and he starts a two-year Bible college, preaching there every day. And I don't know if he called it a Bible college, but I thought this sounded pretty good. Starts a two-year Bible college and everybody's coming daily. And we pick it up in Acts chapter 19 and verse 8 to 10. It says, And then Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. 
But when some of them stubbornly refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, that's what the Christian, Christian life was called at that point. It was called the way. Paul took his disciples and left the synagogue to conduct daily discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. That was his Bible college. Fair enough. Paul took his disciples there to the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years so that everyone who lived in the province of Asia, Jews and Greeks alike, heard the word of the Lord. And God did extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons had that were, had touched him were taken to the sick and diseases and evil spirits left them. In other words, great miraculous signs and wonders were happening through Paul's ministry. See, Paul is functioning in apostolic ministry. And we need to know where we get our authority from because the kingdom of darkness understands authority. Acts chapter 19 and verse 13, and we read on, it says, Now there were some itinerant Jewish exorcists who tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those with evil spirits. And they would say, I bind you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. 14, verse 14, it says, Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. There were seven of them. And verse 15, it says, Eventually one of the evil spirits answered them. Jesus, I know. I know about Paul, but who are you? This demon is like, I haven't seen your Facebook page. I haven't seen your YouTube channel. So who are you to have this authority to be trying to cast out demons? And I reckon about that time, the seven sons of Skeevers are getting a little nervous at what had just occurred in this household. Look what it says in verse 16. Then the man with the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. The attack was so violent that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. So this one demon that was possessing this man was able to take on seven sons, okay, these seven brothers, and beat the living daylights out of them, strip their clothes off in the process, and they come running out of there. It would have been quite a sight to see. You see, the problem was, was not that the demon was too strong for them. The problem was that they had no authority over that demon. They had no authority. See, we get our authority. We don't get our authority because of our biceps or good preaching. We don't get our authority from any of those things. We don't get authority. And I remember one, one Bible college lecturer used to say that, just don't you worry, you all you Bible college students, because the devil will never ask you for your Bible certificate. He only, the kingdom of darkness only recognises one thing, and that's authority. You moving in your authority, your God-given authority, and we've got to know where it comes from. Paul knew where he got his authority from. He knew that he was a sent one, that he moved in apostolic authority. Sent ones have that attribute. If you're walking in a sent mode, you're walking in an apostolic attribute. He knew he could move in apostolic authority and grace. Church, all of us, where do we get our authority from? Because we need to know that we've got authority as well. We need to know how we get it. In Mark chapter 16, we see it and it's being spoken about. And he said to them, this is Jesus, go into all the world, 
Preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. You know, we can't compromise that message. It's about believing or not believing. Amen? And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. That's those who believe. Not talking about the people behind the pulpit. Not talking about the pastors or the leaders or anything like that. It says believers will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. We're talking about our heavenly language. Okay? Our ability, our ability to pray in the spirit. And Paul said, I'm glad I speak in tongues more than all of you. He knew that that was a power source in his life. That's how he plugged in. Amen. They will take up serpents and they will drink. And if they drink anything deadly, it will, be, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Where is your authority to go into your workplace, into your lunchroom and hear that someone there has got an illness or a sickness and that they are, are, are maybe expressing their discontentment with that? Where is your authority to say, can I pray for you? Can I just lay hands on you just quietly? I just want to pray, just want to pray for you. And then lay hands on them and expect the power of God to flow through you and reach them right where they are. What authority have you got to do that? Right here. Right there. Amen? And you know, the thing is, the church just needs a little, sometimes a little, I don't know what it is, just a little wake up to that fact that we're all being given that authority as believers. You know, and that we should go out with that type of boldness to speak and to share the, the, the gospel and to, you know, oh, can I pray for you? Someone knows someone else who's suffering from, a, from some type of demonic activity. Most people run for the pastor. I'll just tell you a bit of a light story on the way out because I know we're not having morning tea this morning so I think we've got a little bit extra time. I was um, probably uh, the first, no, no, it would have been, we would have been a couple of years in and we were um, uh, pastoring in country Queensland, a place called Stanthorpe. And we had just recently moved. And, of course, we had a phone number that, I, you know, that we'd been hanging on to for a while. But, but, um, but anyway, I got this phone call this one day. There's a guy. He goes, is this uh, Peter Bazza, the uh, a pastor? And I said, yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, Peter, Peter here. He goes, uh, well, I've, uh, I found your number. And he says, uh, I'd like you... Uh, I'm just wondering if you could come and do me a quote. I said, a quote? And he goes, yes, a, a quote. He says, I've got a four by one. And I'm, I'm going, he, he knows I'm a pastor. And he wants me to come and do his house. You know. And he, he, he tells me it's a four by one. And I'm going, hmm. And I said, well, look, uh, I, I mean, I still count myself fairly new to ministry. So I said, well, look, I've only been a, a minister for two years. I'll, I'll come and have a go. And of course, I'm thinking he wants me to come and do an exorcism at his house and he's giving me dimensions. It's a four by one. Could you come and do my house? You know, and I'm, I'm thinking, well, maybe in this area, this is what they do. You know, you, you go out, pastors go out and do house cleanings. <laughs> anyway, I, when I said to him, look, um, I've only been a minister for a couple of years. I'm not, I'm not really sort of too big on doing house cleanings. I was trying to tell him that we don't normally do house cleanings. But uh, he then said, um, is that Peter Buzzer, the plasterer? <laughs> and I said, no, it's Peter Basil, the pastor. <laughs> 
And I tell you what, we had the funniest laugh on the phone, you know, as I, I said, I thought you wanted me to come and do an exorcism. Uh, it was just a little wake-up call how things can get mixed up in communications. Maybe that's a takeaway for someone. Listen to what people are saying because uh, it's so easy to get mixed up. I, I want us all to be just reminded today that there is an authority for the believer. And, and whatever, whatever you do, don't diminish that authority by thinking, oh, well, I haven't been to Bible college, so I'm not really big on that authority stuff. Uh, press in. Press in. Be bold with the authority that God has given you as a believer. Recognize the scriptures actually speak that believers will lay hands on the sick. Believers will cast out demons. These are, these are things that we can all do as we step up. Be led by the Spirit by, by all means. Now sometimes it's just, it's, we have to have that connection of both the Word and the Spirit to step into these areas and, and minister. We could go on just the written word, but I tell you, it's so much powerful when we, we, it feels so much powerful when we actually step into the spirit as well and feel a prompt from God to pray for someone or minister to someone. You watch what God does with that. It's powerful. Why don't we all stand? I'm going to ask the worship team to come and we're going to finish on a note here. I'm just going to invite anyone that's here this morning and, and maybe you've heard some things today that, that you're still maybe grappling with in your own mind, but what we have talked about is a personal relationship with God. We've talked about a, an understanding that you can know God and he can know you. And I tell you what, he already knows you. The Bible tells us that he knew us from our, from our mother's womb. So we are known to him. But I tell you how, what a wonderful change in life and for this life when we come into a relationship with him. And I want to encourage you to do that today.